Strachan and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. And Cooper puts it in with his legs. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break. And as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time. Knowing that really, all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net. Welcome to a very special recorded on Friday evening episode of the Here We Go podcast. Um, we've decided to convene ourselves um, on a Friday night um, in reaction to last night's result in the Europa Conference League um, against PAOK. Um, a 3-2 defeat. Um, some some good stuff from the performance, some not so good stuff from performance, but lots to talk about. Um, with me as always, of course, is Richard Hay. How are you, Richard? Yeah, good evening, Martin. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously the Friday night thing is we are sad bastards and we freely admit to that. Um, <laughs> but the other aspect of it, you know, why do this after a defeat? Well, I'm hoping, first of all, that raw pain makes for a good podcast, hashtag content. But secondly, I'm also hoping to be able to process what happened last night because I'm not sure I quite have. Well, well, Mark, well I'm, I mean, also joining me is uh, Martin Ingram. Now, Martin, I'm going to ask you first. I mean, I'm, obviously you aren't over it, but this is going to be some sort of yeah, like group therapy for you, isn't it? It's, it's hopefully, I'm hoping it's going to be some form of catharsis, which will allow me to move on with the rest of my weekend. I mean, not only did I have to have my Thursday night ruined by how the game transpired, but... Uh, uh, we're now assembling so I can have my Friday night ruined by having to relive that trauma. It's what we're good at. It's what we are, yeah. So anyway, right, let's get to it. So, Richard, um, for, for talk, let's talk about the, well, the first half and uh, probably the start of 11. I mean, it's the laziest thing to say, but against a team like PAOK, they are a good team. Priority is, you know, it's, a, it's one of the old football cliches, get to half-time, just don't concede. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't mind the setup. I don't mind the 5-4-1. I don't mind reverting to that. They're a decent team. They deserve respect. I absolutely don't mind that. I, I just thought first half, you know, we knew we'd be compact. We knew, we knew we'd be trying to hit them on the break. I just thought the dial was turned too far to the defensive side. And we didn't really seem to have an idea about how we were able to hurt them going forward. They had a couple of good openings, um, both of them really through Constantelios, who looked a class above anybody in the visiting lineup, to be honest, just 20 as well. Um, but we created absolutely nothing. And it was it was a little bit frustrating just seeing the ball kind of eternally being knocked long to Miofsky and again, just not being a pattern and just not being a a method and how it looked like we wanted to play. And I, you know, I, I don't think that 
I mean, I know that wouldn't have been what uh, what the manager was looking for because there were some tweaks made at halftime and immediately in the second half it was the dial moved. You know, we had a bit more forward momentum and a bit more purpose about us. So yeah, first half we did get to halftime 0-0 and that was a positive because uh, really it, I, we were never going to make any difference to the to the home score line playing the way we were playing. Um, so 0-0 was really the best we could have hoped for at halftime. I mean, Martin, yourself, I mean, no compl- no complaints with the start in 11? No no complaints with the, the starting 11. First of all, I, yeah, I, I was maybe a bit surprised that we decided to adopt the 5-4-1, which, you know, is maybe indicative of how much respect we, we really did give to. And again, I'm, I'm going to insist on this. It's not P-A-O-K, it's P-A-O-K. It's, it's, it's such a Doric-sounding phrase that I think we should be embracing that P-A-O-K. Um, but they're obviously a, a really good team. Um, and I think Barry Robson has probably taken that aspect of um, for, for, for whatever things you might want to castigate him for, um, the, the accusations of tactical naivety back in days in the hacking games. I think they're, they're, they're long gone now. And I think they were, we were just quite determined. To, so we were basically taking that game on as if it was an, an away game against a better European team. So like Richard, I, I wouldn't necessarily be too critical of that because that was undoubtedly the game plan going forward is to make sure you don't concede early, if at all possible, um, get as far into the game as possible and then hope that you get some opportunities which, which, of course, we didn't later on in the second half. We'll, we'll get to that later on. Um, I was still a bit concerned, though, that and, and, and there's a running theme throughout the game, is um, there's always that tendency when you're playing essentially a, a, a bank of five and a bank of four that you just start dropping back a bit too deep. And I think that's where some of the changes came in, you know, the bit that you know they, they, they did make a difference in the early part in the second half because I think we were just went out of possession dropping a bit too far back and I remember there was a point in the first half where I think Boyomioski was on halfway line and then the rest of the midfield was kind of pushed back to about maybe 30 yards out from goal and I remember him gesturing players to try and come out a bit further so I, I it definitely for me had the feel of the structure was right but we were dropping back further than what had actually been planned. And that, and that can happen when, you know, there's maybe a bit of uh, European nerves around that as well and not wanting to be beaten. But I always think there's something, a bit of false security and just getting heaps and heaps of players behind the ball. The 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 guy who, who I now know is Yanis uh, uh, Constantelius. I think most of us only knew him last yesterday evening as Don number seven is really good, isn't he? Um, but he, he, for the first opportunity, he had the, the one that ended up with uh, the, the, the shot off the post. He's done a, a, a great turn in the box to get him through. But there's about three or four defenders in front of him. But how many of them are really defending? Because he basically just drifts along the six yard line until he's got clear space and then hits a shot. Um, but he had a couple of good opportunities. So I think, you know, for, for all that we ultimately probably feel we were hard done by that we didn't at least get a draw and, and let's face it we were in a position where we should have really been winning that game at, at, at one point um 
we probably do forget the fact that they did actually have a couple of good chances in the first half and they probably over the whole piece were the better team um it just happened to be that you know the 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 game plan for the most part it was good enough in the first half we got it right for a good chunk in the second half and then unfortunately all unraveled after that but i'm I'm sure we're going to get into the grisly details of that soon yeah, so we're at halftime. We're nil nil. Um, Richard, what 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 were your feelings at halftime? What did you want to see from the second half? I think, like everybody, we wanted to see a little bit more in the front foot. We wanted to see some action around their box. Uh, I just wanted to see a, a bit more of a sense of purpose and a bit more um, of a joined up Aberdeen team, I suppose. Um, by the way, Martin, I'm not going to call them Pauk. I'm not going to call them PAOK. We're going to call them Pan Thessalonikos Athleticos Omilos Constantinopolion, something like that. Okay? That was so close. <laughs> I was quite close. I got the three out of four spot on, I thought. Yeah, I, I wasn't anticipating any change in the shape or anything, especially since it was nil-nil. And again, it's important to realise what we were doing and what we weren't doing last night. There were constant shouts from around me to, you know, go and close them down for the strike. You know, we weren't pressing. It was a low block and it was intended to ensure that we kind of suffocated the space. Um, and as a result, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm, I'm even more surprised by the... The idea that some of the players needed to be changed for fitness reasons after about 60 minutes, but we will absolutely come to that. But no, I just wanted something which was a bit more cohesive and at least gave us the threat and the opportunity to score. And obviously we did that. I mean, that first goal, Jamie McGrath does really, really well, actually. And again, this was someone that I wasn't hugely excited about signing because largely because he was a Dun United team that were terrible and got relegated last season and always seemed to be able to do with score penalty kicks. But, you know, I thought he was intelligent, uh, smart and energetic in that kind of uh, off the striker role last night. And it's his desire to win the ball initially relatively high at the pitch, which allows us the opportunity for Jack McKenzie to put in a really good cross ball. And I loved the composure from Bojan Miofsky at the finish, you know, not just wildly slashing at it. And, you know, he's six yards out. Even if he had wildly slashed at it, it quite could well have been a goal anyway. But just knowing that he's got the space to take a touch, doing that and just nestling it in the corner, beautiful stuff. Yeah, you're right. I think you're right to um, mention mention the contribution of McGrath there, Richard, because, you know, I I don't think there's many Aberdeen fans, and I think we've, we've mentioned this before, there isn't many of us Aberdeen fans that were, you know, doing cartwheels and overly excited about him coming here but he has he has contributed martin hasn't he yeah and i'm going to start answering your second question to me but actually answering the first question you asked to me in the first place did did did, it, did i think they got the right players in and jamie mcgrath is definitely one of those guys where we we discussed this at the time that he first joined um the the signing while it was a good signing he's obviously a good player but it didn't necessarily enthuse. I think uh, I won't. I won't rope the two of you into this. You can give your own accounts otherwise. But to me, I thought maybe you know once our business was done, a, a, a squad player, someone who we'd use intermittently in situations where we might anticipate to be more on the front foot and would want to have that type of 
creative attacking player. Um, but he's really established himself as one of the the the, the names you would you would put straight into the, the the starting eleven if you had everybody available. And to your first question to me, um, I think at the moment that starting eleven, with one exception, and I will come to that later on because it will be pertinent later on. But that is pretty much what I would have said is the the strongest starting eleven that you could have had in in the five four one setup. You would obviously have that discussion about you know it would probably be Polvara that would be dropping out for Duke in our more conventional uh, format. But um, yeah, McGrath incredibly good performance last night. Uh, very composed on the ball, and um, what I've actually been most impressed with is. The, the the work rate that we've seen out of him as well because it was he wasn't necessarily a player that I thought you were associated with that I think we said beforehand creative player set set piece uh, specialist scored a lot of penalties um, but I've been so impressed with the work rate he's put in relation it was there was a, there was a number of times in, in in the game where he was the, the one of the more notable players tracking back and, and coming back and rolling his sleeves up and doing the doing the hard work. Um, but the other really big success in that midfield, and, and again, we'll come to this as well when, with, with a certain topic, but uh, um, Connor Barron, I thought, was absolutely exceptional in the midfield as well. I think he was actually probably our, our best player. Um, I don't actually, I think in all the pandemic, I don't even know if a man in the match got announced at the time. I don't think anybody cared at that point, but he must have been right up there for consideration. And once again, maybe maybe telling that in that midfield three, um, it probably is now. McGrath and Barron play have been playing so well that they they probably do have their names in the team sheet. Um, and given you'd expect Graham Shinney as a captain to play, it probably does leave a big question mark on how much involvement Leighton Clarkson might have going forward if, if we're going to continue to play in that formation. But um, yeah, um, at that point, everybody was clicking and everything was looking well. Yeah, Richard and Newman, for the first goal, you mentioned the word composure. Um, for the second goal, um, Mayovsky obviously we, we it's a it's a box to box counter attack. Mayovsky slides it to Dante Polvara, um, and he takes his time, dink and dinks it over the keeper. Yeah, the keeper got a little bit of a hand to it, um, dinks it over the keeper, and we find ourselves two 0 up. It's just a great goal, and it's just exactly how a manager would want their team to play in the way that he'd set them up. It's, that's exactly how he would want them to play. He'd want them to to be tenacious to steal the ball back uh, in the first instance, which Jack McKenzie is. It's it's at the second uh, sort of nibble that he's able to take it away. He'd want his midfield to show composure and be intelligent on the ball, which Conor Barron does by uh, driving us forward on the ball, first of all, assessing what was available available to him, playing you know a, a smart little ball into Boyan Miofsky, which opens up the opportunities further up the pitch. He'd want Boan to quickly assess the situation, not make any mistakes with a through ball, which wasn't a difficult through ball, but he got it absolutely spot on. Then he'd want one of his midfielders to be breaking, showing that drive and determination to get up the park. And then when he got the opportunity to shoot, he'd want him to show exactly the composure that Dante Polvara did in front of goal. I, I, everything about that was textbook. And what an unlikely 
European hero Dante Povara is turning into. I'd like him to do score goals and winning contributions. Maybe that's the next step, obviously. But again, both of the goals he scored in Europe all about making sure that when we get the ball, when we break, we get the midfielders up to support the strikers. And in the first half, that absolutely wasn't happening. But partly because, obviously, Miofsky was seeing very little of the ball as well. But... It's about getting strikers ahead of Miofsky as well. Uh, midfielders running ahead of Miofsky as well, which is what Povara did to such great effect in the second goal. Just a just a really, really well-worked goal. Nothing overly flash about it. Just really good work at every stage of that move. And it was all looking so good at that point. And frankly, for the next 10, 15 minutes after that, because they weren't really causing us that many problems. Yeah, I just want to add in relation to that 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 was for for all the slating that Barry Robson got after the match and and may well get in the next five or ten minutes or so. Um, it was a really it was a really good subtle adjustment in the way we were playing from how we held out at half time because exactly it was it was there was there was a bit more. The midfield was closer to Miofsky. They were linking together. And, and and obviously, that second goal was exactly the type of opportunity that we would have been looking for by maybe playing a little bit further back, invite, inviting the pressure onto us. Because we know we've got players of that ability that can um, punish teams on the break like that. And they know exactly what they're supposed to be doing. That's been a real characteristic of the team that in in transition players are busting a gut to get themselves forward and getting themselves into positions to support those breaks and 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 that was the most impressive aspect well i suppose the most impressive aspect from don tipovara's goal was the calmness of the finish that was actually quite a composed goal for a guy is still you know a, a young midfielder trying to kind of settle himself into the team and he's got he's about you know half the length of the pitch to think about what he's going to do when he inevitably encounters that one-on-one with the goalkeeper and he just gets enough lift on it. I think I look back in highlights and I think the goalkeeper does just kind of get a glove on it, but but it's 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 too too far away from him to get any kind of power onto it. But that was the, the kind of sweet spot where throughout the majority of that second half, right, right up until... Um, really the, the, the unfortunate set of events which led to their first goal. That was a kind of a period of 20, 25 minutes where I agree we were actually genuinely the team on top. And, and if anything, I can't have been the only person in the ground that had, and I didn't obviously speak this into existence, so I'm not going to take any of these kind of jinx claims now that I say this, but I, it really had that feeling of the Copenhagen match where you've somehow managed to get yourself through maybe boringly but comfortably to nil-nil having survived one or two scares and then in the second half it felt like one of those games where up until that point everything in the second half was going going our way um so it's just all the more frustrating that having done so much so right for such a long chunk of the game there, there are obviously controversial talking points as well, but 
the 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 goals that we've ended up losing there have all been an element of culpability in our own defending in the way we've approached that and it's it's all the more frustrating i i, I ran into a friend in the way out and you, you know it's I, I guess we always say these things when in games of heartbreaking defeats but it's like you know you'd have almost rather they just won three nil and then you could have just accepted you were beat by the better team it's it's the hope that kills you isn't it but um yeah I, I think one of the positives that we will have to try and hang on to in all of this is that's three consecutive games in european group stages where although the results haven't gone our way we've been right in every single one of them and i think you could probably throw the certainly the hacking away game into that as well and and again other, with, with the exception of the 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 nicky devlin aspect of that goal very very similar style of goal to the equalizing goal in gothenburg um and i'll just say as well huge huge shout out to jack mckenzie for his overall contribution in the match because the quality of the cross for the first goal is obviously really obvious but richard touched on it right at the outset here that he did the same thing for this goal as what he did for hacking it all starts with a defender winning his one-on-one battle with a player on the edge of his own penalty area and it all flows from there and if he's not defending not only defending capably enough to to stop an opportunity happening our end but actually getting that toe in to to win possession out there exactly the opportunities that then allow us to go on those breaks and give us those opportunities so he's a He's a player that's come on in leaps and bounds because he's been by no means blameless in some of the things that have happened in the last 12, 18 months or so. He has definitely had his fair share of real struggles, but um, he's almost kind of like this this team's Considine. He's the guy that if everybody was fit and available, you probably wouldn't have thought he was in the starting 11, the first choice starting 11, and yet by the end of the season, you look back and he's probably going to have played about 30 games or so, and um he'll put in an acceptable level of performance more often or not and every once in a while you'll get an exceptional performance like the one you got last night so uh that's the positive part of the podcast over <laughs> readers uh, listeners of a sensitive disposition may wish to turn off now well yeah um so we've had the suite um no we were after an hour we were two nil up uh, we had 10 minutes of uh, elation. Uh, perhaps some of us sitting there thinking, what the fuck is happening? Um, <laughs> what, is, what, is going on, what is going on here? We're 2-0 up. Um, and then, um, 70, 70, 71 minutes in, um, the manager makes a triple substitution, Richard. Uh, we have Polvara, Barron, um, and for what, you, for what uh, Mark was saying earlier, Barron was... Absolutely, that was this was the star of the show for me in the evening. I thought he was excellent. So we had Polvara, Baron, and Miofsky coming off. Um, Johnny Hayes, Leighton Clarkson, and Duke uh, come on for them. Where did it all go wrong? Well, I mean, whilst I was elated as well, I was um, deep in thinking, what a fucking missed opportunity not beating Helsinki is going to turn out to be at hmm. that point. Um, however. Um, that's proved to be an utterly pointless uh, diversion. <laughs> Where did it go wrong? I think I think there's a tendency to retrofit what happened to those substitutions to a degree, because you know we when we have played this formation before, 
you know, you saw Miofsky go off after 56 minutes in Frankfurt. He went off after 79 minutes at Ibrox, and it was 72 minutes last night. Now, I just wonder, I think it's proof, obviously, that he, 80 minutes at Ibrox, he was able to give us, I wonder if we could have got another 10 minutes last night, just kept that solidity within the side, kept that shape, kept the same personnel who were performing so admirably. Obviously, we don't have access to the running numbers, the distance numbers that the team on the bench would have access to. Um, so, and we're also, I, I say we're in a runner heavy game, but they're coming off the back of, for, more, for obviously there was internationals and a lot of them would have been, been away with their countries, either full con national or under 21 in the case of Conor Barron. But I just wonder if we could have got an extra 10 minutes. I, I, I think it's noticeable that at Ibrox, I, I don't think Robson was sure of that result. So, he keeps his key players on as as long as he can, I think, right up to the 79th minute. And I know it's only seven or eight minutes of a difference, but of course, it just... Yeah, I, but I do think there's a tendency to retrofit what happened. And what happened was largely down to individual errors. I, I, I think we'd have to say with the goals. But the substitutions did feel unnecessary. And in some cases, they weren't the right substitution. I... I don't believe that right now Luis Lopez deserved to come off that bench last night to replace Mayofsky. He's not even really a like-for-like like change. You know, we've spoken most of the season about how the sort of replacement on the bench for Mayofsky would be Sockler, similar kind of player, whereas you've got Gay, who's, sim you know, broadly similar, although we haven't seen too much of him, to be fair, to make that assessment, but broadly similar based on what we've been told about the way he plays to Lopez. Uh, so I'm really quite surprised that Sockler wasn't the man to come on last night. It just kind of felt that, oh, because Lopez has been starting, he was kind of the next cab in the rank. Rather than thinking about the type of forward player that would help to get us up the pitch and help to relieve the pressure, because I thought that was a key thing after those changes that we simply didn't get up the pitch. We simply didn't have that out ball, which we did have, not in that first half, as we already spoken about, but for the, the first part of that second half. So so that change in particular, I, I, I think, deserves further comment, deserves further uh, assessment. Taking off Povara and uh, Barron, again, we made similar changes at Ibrox, and at Frankfurt. It's clearly about the work that those positions do. It was Clarkson that came off in Frankfurt rather than uh, Barron because it was he that started ahead of Barron, but it was it was the same idea. So, it, it, I'm not saying it was to a predefined plan, but I don't think those changes, and indeed the Lopez changes, should really have surprised us, nor really when they happened. What also happened was, obviously, that Pauk made changes as well. Now, they brought on three guys, three guys who, by the looks of it, regularly start for them. Now, whether they thought that they could get through last night with a slightly weakened team, well, they were rudely awakened from that. But there, was th there were three guys who were brought on who all more or less tend to start most weeks for Pauk. And that also changed the dynamic. I mean, you, the goal scorer... Um, to make it 2-1. That was his first touch. He'd, he'd literally just come on the pitch. But, again, 
I talk about this as a danger of retrofitting. If you look at these goals individually, which we're away to do, there's pretty clear individual mistakes happening there. Um, you have Jensen slipping for the first, you have Johnny Hayes for the second, and then you've got the penalty kick for the third. And <sighs> as much as obviously the, the, the team performance had got us to a position where we were 2-0 down and there seemed to be a disruption in that team performance, it was always only going to take a slip, an individual error, a mistake for things to start becoming a bit panicky. In fact, arguably, in some respects, things were a bit panicky before then because you had Kelarus out dropping high balls, kicking the ball out of play half the evening. It kind of exuded that panic from the back, even when we were going well, even when it was 2-0. So I, I, I just worry there's this kind of tendency just to retrofit what happened on those substitutions because of the timing and because of what happened afterwards. Yeah, Martin. Um, something I've um, obviously we, I think we touched on, we touched on earlier on is that um, you know, people have said that it's you know down to the fitness, and I've read some stuff today saying you no, know, obviously about trusting the data, and you know if the if the stats are saying that the guys are struggling, then you have to take them off. Um, did did it did it have to be a triple sub all done at once? I think is the frustration I'm reading from a lot of people where. If you break that up, um, and maybe only make you know have you make have two stoppages in the game, it just it slows the game down a little bit. Um, it gives it, it gives it gives us a chance to disrupt the game. Dare I say, when we you know we were we're two 0 ahead when the changes are made. Instead, you make a triple sub, uh, and we get, and you know yes, the mistake comes from Richard rightly mentioned the mistake comes from Jensen there where he falls over, uh, but if you make making three changes, you've got three guys coming into the game cold. Yeah, I think there's a couple of aspects to this. There's obviously, or maybe a few actually. So, first of all, should should we be doing a triple substitution now? I know what Richard was saying is maybe the, the the changes which were made they were they were ones that may not have necessarily come to surprise to anybody, but not least of which the team itself. I, I'm sure that 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 was pre-planned in so far as I'm thinking of someone like Dante Polvara. Um, he was, I think, at that point, pretty much running on empty. I think that was the most noticeable of the guys where um, I think he had emptied the tank. And I think that was very deliberate because I think he's been given an indication in advance that he was likely to be one of the players that would be coming off the park. Um, I think Miovsky probably would have expected that as well. So given given the role that Miovsky was playing, being essentially, you know, a the lone striker all the first half and a good 10, 15 metres away from any of his teammates. I think he was told, you know, go and go and make yourself as active as possible. And and and, and in Polvara's case as well, I really think it's probably, be, yeah, just completely run your guts out. This, you know, make for, for especially for the second half adjustment, go and make those runs, supporting runs and, and, and get yourself around um, with the expectation that if you do find that your legs have gone, you know, you'll, you'll you'll be getting taken off before the end of the game and there is also that aspect Richard's absolutely right we we will always judge these aspects um rightly or wrongly based on the outcome of the result once that thing has happened um which is a dangerous thing to do 
Um, I don't think you'd have to go too far back on the social media accounts of several people where one of the very common refrains of criticism in um, some of the earlier parts of Barry Robson's tenure was our reluctance to make substitutions early enough in games and stick with having the same 11 players on the park for as long as possible. So, um, dare I say it, I mean, again, we're all we're all the worst at, at, at this when it comes to, you know, hypocritical views. I'm sure you wouldn't go too far back in some of these podcasts to pull any of us three up on it at some point as well. But yeah, it, you know, he's... he's, he's if if you lose, then he's either you know um, made the wrong decision by not bringing players on quickly enough, or he's made the wrong decision by um, taking taking the players off at all. But yeah, when I was saying earlier, up until we lost the first goal, or up until the substitutions, let's let, let's say that, given that's what we're talking about right now, it it had the feel of the Copenhagen game. From that triple substitutions onward, it really it, I, I tweeted this afterwards. It, it was hard not to kind of shake the the feelings of, and it, it wasn't identical, but it had that feel of the match we lost against the Rangers uh, the previous season, and there was a triple substitution in that game as well. And I think there is an aspect of, especially when you're playing uh, a a a good team who, as Richards rightly said, they've made their own changes to try and press the game more and come forward. Um, when you're the team that's in control, if anything, I thought we were looking very comfortable at that point. They were the team that actually looked really shaky. And I think it just kills, in in some respects, the momentum that we currently had in that phase in the game. And that's that's where I think the, the criticism would be right of, of, of Robson, not necessarily in making the changes. But if they were a pre-planned thing where at 70 minutes we're going to make these changes, sometimes you do just have to take a slight step back and manage that in-game and think, actually, we've got a real stranglehold in the game right now. We are very comfortable. They aren't. Um, and even if it was just a moment to have a, have a, have a wee look to see, again, a, a more strategic thought would be, let's let Pauk make their substitutions see how it changes their style of play and then we'll make the changes to counter that so that you're a little bit you're 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 taking on board what's going on in the game whereas there 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 maybe is some justification to saying just to make a wholesale set of changes wrote if that's what it was um it 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 just maybe killed some of the momentum that we actually had at that particular time at a time where it didn't need to happen and as i say um i expected Pulvara was looked look like he was struggling by the time that he came off. That seems entirely understandable, but I think I would have wanted to keep Baden in the park longer, given given the success that we were enjoying at that particular time. Again, you can if that if that turns out not to be working, you can make that you can make that individual substitution a bit later on. Um, and I agree. I think Duke was just brought on because he's Duke um, for for the type of uh, game that that currently was. I I, I agree. I thought it might have been a Sockler that was coming on just to provide a kind of a, a like for like. And then in terms of the goals that we actually conceded, I think the only one that you could directly attribute to the substitutions was the fact that obviously Johnny Hayes was really the most culpable in relation to the second goal that we conceded. But yeah, they were just they were just individual errors by players that were already on the park rather than anything um, that was a direct consequence of the individual players that came came on. 
I think it was more just we we maybe just didn't sense that the momentum was with us and it's that kind of aspect of why why be the ones making significant changes to your team when 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 you're the team that's actually on top so at 2-1 there's an there's an incident in the game um where Jack McKenzie is in the in the opposition box and he's fouled um now firstly I'll come to both of you and I just want a yes or no answer is there any case that can be made for that not being a penalty you just want a yes or no answer. I just want a yes or no. <laughs> well, obviously, from the angles that we eventually see, there is no case that that's not a penalty kick. Is that a double 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 negative there? So is that helping? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Mark, Martin, I can I can trust you to be more more conclusive. I love that Richard's confirmation of whether you wanted a yes or no answer, and then you confirmed you wanted a yes or no answer. He then. <laughs> <laughs> didn't give a yes or no answer. Um, no. Right. There. There we go. Right. Okay. So, but since but since yesterday, you know, there's obviously been you know this and that, and or maybe the the VAR officials maybe they only saw the certain angles, things like that. I'm sure you know over the course of the coming weeks, the VAR bores who think this is a great thing. Will be will come out and defend it, and they'll show some. They'll show some really softball decisions. I don't know if any of you saw the Sky Sports thing that was on this week, where they where they picked the most easy, simple decisions to 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 justify how great VAR is. And I, you know, and I'm sure over the coming weeks that we'll we'll see the same again as well. If a decision like that last night can't be given as a penalty kick, what is the point of having VAR? Can I jump in on this before we get to the VAR aspect? Because there's there's two aspects to decision. And the one thing I would say is, and especially from the vantage point that I had in the South Stand, I just wanted to say, this is, brace yourselves. In defence of the referee, he's right behind Jack McKenzie in terms of his viewpoint. And I kind of see what I think he was looking at. And, 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 it, and it comes along to... Uh, a theme that I think we really need to be a bit more savvy about in um, a lot of the time when some of our players are either needlessly going down under contact when they don't have to um, uh, or or are at least trying to make the most of it, which, which, which I know is a, an aspect of professional football in of itself. But um, I was thinking there was a point in the first half with, where Miofsky went pretty easily down in the box when I think there was actually minimal contact. I think anybody would agree that there wasn't a penalty. But the thing I always worry about is it's that kind of the boy that cried wolf where I always worry that when you're a team that starts, and I think this is more pertinent domestically than than, than, than in the European games because obviously I'm thinking of someone like I think Duke in recent times has now started to get a reputation of potentially being very willing to throw yourself down the deck but I think the problem is if, if if a referee sees that one or two times during the game he's then looking at those incidents and thinking am I am I seeing an actual uh, penalty incident or is there an element of simulation in relation to this and for some of our older fans I saw that from the back as well from where I'm sitting in the uh, the south stand and and while we were at more of an angle than, or 
than what the referee would have been. So you could you could at least see from the angle that the the defenders put his leg out and it's the leg that's made contact. So it it should be a penalty. But from the back, there's an aspect of um, I felt Jack McKenzie did a bit of a Duncan Shearer. The arms flail out, the, the heels flick back. Uh, and I think the referee has seen all... He, I think what he's seen is that the player, the, the, the Pauk player has maybe got in in front of him and it might be more shoulder to shoulder than leg. And then he sees... I think referees are trained to look for those kind of things. Arm flails, heel click backs. Um, someone that might be going down in a way that's either, you know not natural or, or maybe trying to exaggerate or em, or emphasize the contact which has been made. Having said all of that, to your question, Martin, is this not the very reason advocates of VAR say we have VAR? Is, I, I, I don't know, I, I, I remember in the post-match interview, Barry Robinson was talking about he saw the referee kicking kicking his changing room door in the way back and whether he knew that was the case or not. I don't have any doubt that if he was sent to the screen to relook at what had happened, he then gets to see it from especially the, the, the 180 degree angle of where he was, which would have been directly in front of the pipe defender. It becomes utterly obvious that he's he stepped in, he's take he's he's made contact with McKenzie's leg, no contact with the ball, and and and, and that's a penalty. So the question now becomes, if VAR isn't referring the referee in situations where there is a clear and obvious error that has been made on the park, then why are we even bothering it? Because if the one thing that VAR is being held up for is it brings, and I'm, you know, I'm remembering this, the discussions on you know Radio Scotland and sports scene about how we need to get VAR in as soon as possible because it will bring this element of equity and fairness, you know, that will rectify decisions. Um, it couldn't have been more unequal in how it was uh, used last night because there was two incidents of a clear and obvious error on the pitch. It wasn't referred for the situation where we would have had a penalty and it was referred for the situation where Pouch should have had a penalty. And that's the definition of unfairness or, or inequality in in the football context. Um, obviously, it was a, it was it was far more clear at the end of the game because it is literally the difference between a draw and a defeat because that was the end of the game that the the penalty was the last kick of the game. But in that situation, um, even even the most um, skeptical or petrified dandy, I think would have been feeling quite confident that had the penalty been awarded, and again, we'd all, or, or I'd already spoke beforehand, we, we know how clinical Jamie McGrath is as a penalty taker. Um, I think you'd be right to think at that point we go 3-1 up with very little time remaining, and it's exactly probably the kind of goal that then settles the nerves and maybe deflates the opposition, and, and, and we go on and get what would have been uh, a, a very famous European victory. Um, and as a result of that not being picked up, it wasn't. The only other thing I was going to pick up in relation to that, I saw Derek Ray on Twitter was giving the argument that maybe play had gone on too far after the the, the team, the, the VAR team had had the opportunity to see what had actually happened. And I wonder if that's, and again, it's unfortunate, because but it's, but it's the circumstances that dictate it. 
are we now in a situation where we should be expecting our players to be a bit more open quotation professional close quotation in the sense of getting getting around the referee um making it known you know Mackenzie maybe staying on the deck and refusing to move from the spot until such time. You do wonder whether if we make more of an issue of it at the time and it allows just literally more time to pass before the next phase of play can get forward, would would that have provided a bit more time for the, the VAR team to have then seen all the angles of that? But given that we have so so little knowledge or input in relation to the decision-making process that happens in the VAR. And, you know, I, I don't I don't know how many, probably very few of our listeners watched the Rugby World Cup, but when you compare it to the the the, the checks in, in the Rugby World Cup games where you've got a process, you know, you've got the, the, the VAR referee in contact and then they're having a, a conversation with the referee and the assistant referee and they will deliberate and take time none of this just you have to wait and see if there's a call in the referee's ear and then he just wanders off and has a look at the screen and then decides whether it's okay or not i just think it's 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 not been effective the process doesn't seem to be very obvious in relation to how it operates and, and as i say on this particular instance and again i'd go back to the helsinki game a clear elbow in the head of duke early in the first half if that gets looked at, I don't think there's any way that wouldn't have been a red card because he's he's raised his elbow up and led with it and it's made contact with somebody's head. So two 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 matches in a row where we've 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 come off second best in in in, in a match that very likely probably go on to win both games. Um, for the penalty, I, I mean, I'm hundred yards away from that incident, but it, but it's all because I thought it looked a, a foul at the time. But then, to be honest, those on the pitch and even those in the stand didn't seem to be making that big a deal of it at the time. And I've spoken to quite a few guys who were sat in the south stand or sat in the red shed who, who were like, hmm, I didn't think there was much in it at the time. Um, so, I mean, but I did think it was a foul, but equally 100 yards away. So, you know, I was prepared to accept it was a coming together. Um, on, again, I really don't want to have another endless discussion about VAR, but I mean, obviously the conspiracy bullshit that some have come out with over the last 24 hours is is embarrassing. It's just VAR. It's an imperfect system that was sold to us as a version of perfection by removing refereeing errors. It's not done that. It's just added a new layer of them, a different layer of them, a different layer of things that get missed and don't get picked up. Um, on that, um, on the Lopez uh, incident in the Helsinki game, I, I don't think that's a red card at all. I think that that would be the sort of thing that VAR have incorrectly sent people off for because they they will look at these things in slow motion exclusively. If you run that and run that in real time, you just see Duke kind of leaning, bending into the challenge. The guy's got his arms up to kind of fend off a guy who he expected to be a shoulder height and he catches him on the head. It's not, in my mind, an elbow to the head. It's a coming together of the elbow and the head. And it's one that looks infinitely worse because we're seeing it time and time again in slow motion, either in on VAR itself or in endless television replays. Um, I, I do think that there's... A degree of justification on what Derek Ray was saying in terms of, you know, how long do you want the VAR decisions to take? It's already 
a time-consuming and frustrating exercise for those of us in the ground to wait the 90 seconds or so for a decision to be to be made, to be given when there is a check. Um, yes, we want right decisions, but we, we have to accept we're never going to get 100% right decisions. We weren't going to get under a referee system. And that this is the thing, this was sold to us as a way of, as a version of perfection, but it's anything but. But it's here to stay, we're not getting rid of it. Um, however much you might wish that to be the case, it's here to stay, Pandora's box has been opened. So we are just, it is basically in the realms of what we used to do, we used to discuss and moan about refereeing decisions. Well, th this is all it is. It's another layer of refereeing decisions to moan about. Yeah, just to maybe wrap up on that one, again, it's a piece of technology, but a piece of technology which is operated by human beings. The The technology hasn't failed in that scenario. It's it's the fact that uh, a referee looking at, looking at that or, or who should have been looking at that hasn't picked that up and referred that on to the referee. So again, you're, you're, you're still just coming back to the same issues that you always are, that you're trying to rely upon referees going through the correct process and coming to the right decisions, whether they are the ones that are in the TV booth looking at the, 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 the pictures on the monitors or the ones that are on the park. Um, so to my mind, you're never going to erase the game with those kind of errors. But the the in-game experience of VAR, I think, is just so much the worse for VAR being involved in that regard because... Um, even even when VAR is in operation, you're just left in a complete no man's land in relation to what the hell is actually going on. Um, and as patently was shown last night, it's not bringing that um, much vaunted fairness and uh, elimination of errors that that people seem to to think it would. Um, I would more more than happily. Uh, get it in the bin, and, and Richard may we may all be right that we we may be past the point of no return, but um, I I think over the piece I much preferred it back in the day where even even if even if the referee has made a an error of it on the pitch, at least you move on from it and you get on with it. So if you're still if you're out there and still listening, don't worry, it gets worse. <laughs> so you know, but we'll move on. We'll move on from VAR. Uh, so you know, after that. 84, 85 minutes. Uh, it because it's two-two. Richard, as you mentioned earlier on, individual errors, um, and the individual error comes from Johnny Hayes. Um, and it's, you know, this, uh, I don't want to go. I don't want to go in too hard on him because, you know, it's 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 a mistake he's made, and it's it's a very bad mistake. Um, I just he. But I just I I don't understand. I mean, it, it was getting windy. I know the rain had come on and stuff like that. No, it it was getting tricky. It was getting trickier. Some of the conditions, however, heading the ball when it's two feet off the ground like that, um, I don't understand. Um, he then obviously tries to rec tries to recover, and they get lucky with a deflection off of him, and it goes in, and we find ourselves at two two. I don't know. There's much more to add, to be honest with you, Martin. Um, yeah, the I'm not entirely sure what the the sort of thinking was to to go with his head. It was a slightly awkward angle, but it it certainly looked as if it would have made more sense to get it on a volley. Um, it was the wind was swirling absolutely, 
Um, but it's a big, big error. You can't do anything about the about the second one. What you what you can see is that, you know, obviously, it's about the quality of the strike. After that, really, it's about the sweetness of the strike. Um, you know, if that had come to our right midfield or our right back in that scenario, would they have been able to catch it quite so well to get to get the power and the deflection to take it past their keeper? So you have to give some credit to the strike, but it it should have been defended, just like the first one should have been defended. Martin, uh, it's the sort of thing that you know your dad would say: just boot it into the stand. There, there was real similarities between the defending in the first and the second goal, and. Going back to the, I, I think the the main word I would have said is indecision. It's indecision on those awkward balls. Um, uh, as Richard just said with Hayes's one, it's at a, a a level where probably he should just be putting his boot through it, but it's maybe just slightly high enough that you're then in two minds about, oh, is it is it too high to kick, or is it now too low ahead? And then by the time you've made a decision on it, you're you, you've you've come to the ball late now, and and again, instead of being able to get a powerful clearance on it, you've basically just, you know, spooned it out to the side. Um, and and with the first goal, that's what I felt with Richard Jensen as well. He he definitely, I think, originally started out with the intent that when he got as far as him, and and by the way, it was a bit of a calamity of it was error upon error upon error. It's just one of those things where, um. Again, I didn't fully appreciate it on the night, but when I look back at the highlights, so it starts out at the first opportunity. Jamie McGrath has a chance to get to kick it just inside his own half, and and it kind of sclaffs it, and it loops up in the air. And there, uh, I can't remember the name, but the their centre forward that they brought on, he goes to get it. Um, Is it not that one as well that essentially seconds before it it, it's uh, come because Roos has kicked it straight out in a flush? Is it that one, or one of the other goals has come as a result of that as well? Yeah. So, so, so there was a there's a number of issues. So, so again, so it comes off of that. I think Rubicic has come come out to try and get to the ball. Shinny's coming back, tracking back to get it. They almost kind of get in each other's way, and then the ball bobbles through. Um, And I think it was that guy Constantelis that was. Elias, it was running through, and and again, I think Jensen began with the mindset of I'm going to go and actually just you know tackle him, and then I think he realised that the guy was just a bit too far away, and then he kind of I think he then kind of a second thought, oh, can it kind of still just stay on my feet now? But he'd all he'd all he'd already kind of committed himself, and he ended up doing neither and just kind of collapsing on the ground, and and at that point it was you know there was always going to be a goal, um, two on two on one against the the, the keeper, so. Those are just the kind of unfortunate things which happen in football sometimes. But yeah, it's 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 entirely grating. Where I think you always have that view, especially when you're playing better quality teams, is that if they come and produce some real quality opportunities and score goals from them, you you can almost live. I mean, the the you know I'm thinking some of the contributions from Sadiq in the the home game against Hacken. I mean, sometimes you look at players I think well that's just too good but I don't think there was any feeling that at all from any of the goals we conceded I think they were just all in so entirely preventable albeit so entirely understandable when you just have those kind of um series of unfortunate events which lead to those goals going in and yeah I think no overriding feeling in those goals are just ones of our frustration and I'm sure that it's shared with the players as much as it is by the fans yeah, and I mean, as if 
as if we needed a final slap in the face or a final kick in the balls or both even. Um, of course, the last last minute of the game, last kick of the game, um, they score with a penalty. Um, no real complaints, I think, with the, the, with the award of the penalty, is there, Richard? No, <laughs> quite simply, yeah. no. I mean, um, after the game, Barry Robson did say that, you know, he, he, I think he felt, he said that, he thought that um, Rubicic, I think the words were he got a bit nervous, um, which in the 93rd minute of the game is, is disappointing, isn't it? I think it is time we talk about Slobodan Rubicic. Um We've discussed this in previous podcasts, but this is the kind of error that he seems to always have in him. Um, and he is a relatively young defender, but we'd, we'd already identified some pretty glaring holes or weaknesses in his game. We spoke about the match against Hibbs, which in fairness to a certain extent is not his fault because again, he does he's clearly not the most mobile or pacey of defenders. So I think he very much needs to be in the role that he currently is in right now where he's supported by players either side of him that can provide that level of mobility and, and maybe composure around about him. So sticking him out on the right side of a, a back three clearly isn't for him, especially if we're going to be playing players of, you know, trick, trickier players of, you know, with pace and ability to take players on. I think his um, performance last night, Martin, is really a microcosm of a team. I thought he did well until the point he didn't. <laughs> you know, is that true though? The, yeah, I thought I, he I was. was. Gonna, I thought I, he was. I, was quite, I thought he was pretty solid up before that. There was a lovely bit of play out in the corner beside the main stand, uh, retaining the ball and moving it forward. I, I thought he was solid. I don't think he was uh, culpable or under significant pressure at all but so i'll, um... I'll maybe explain myself because again it's, it, it, the, the point i'm going to come to isn't necessarily so much that because again i think over the piece he had a very solid game that that piece of almost like johan cruyff turned his way out of trouble i think is the one you were thinking about where i think that was the point where i thought oh man we really this really is our night we really are going to go away and uh, win this comfortably but i want to come back to because it was it was never really um, dwelled upon given the number of noteworthy events afterwards but there's a point where I think it's when we're still only 2-1 down um, is that right or it might even be between the first and second goal but they had a chance where I think a couple of players potentially had a chance to score from like six yard box but they ended up being pulled back for being offside um, and again this is was... after this drops it yeah, and and, and 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 again, this is hands up. This is more noticeable from having seen the highlights afterwards. But nobody thinks about it again because it's blown off for offside. But the, the the two players come in from Pauk to try and get the ball, and Slobodan just comes in late, and the guy has got his toe in the ball. I mean, again, he, he's basically kicked out of play. But Slobodan comes in late and cleans him out, and 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 he has these moments in him. And the two two really noticeable areas that they always seem to crop up are, and and, and the, again, I, I don't want to be too critical about it because an element of it, this is how he's obviously supposed to be playing in the back three. There's the there's the moments where a player that the team are progressing forward, and his job is to be the defender of the three who pushes out and takes on the first striker. And again, he was kind of caught in 
that that was part of what I felt was some of the again very minor but culpability in the first goal where he's rushing out to player and he just comes out too far and he ends up finding himself in no man's land and a, and, and 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 strikers. It was very noticeable at Tyne Castle. I think he was partially at fault for Hearts' first goal where he rushes out so hard on Shanklin that he basically just Shanklin just nudges the ball past him and he's completely taken out of the game. And then later on in the second half, he he does the same where he comes out to Liam Boyce and then just cleans him out and and. They play on because Hearts have advantage and, and, and they don't come back to it. But the other aspect is these kind of, I don't know if you call it nervous, or, or but these mistimed ch- challenges in the box, you just shouldn't be even trying that. Any, any Anybody knows you've if you're going to be going off feet and trying to make tackles in the penalty area, you, pre- you pretty much should be damn well sure you're going to come away with the ball. And it was that kind of tackle that saw the, the late, penalty against Hacking at Pitodri, uh, albeit that's a game that's probably already away from us. But again, it happened earlier in this match where if that hadn't been offside, a, a, an, op- an opportunity where the guy's actually just blazed it into the Richard Donald stand anyway, but, but Rubicic has come in late and cleaned him out. That would have been a penalty. Um, and, and for this one, again, it wasn't really, it was on the edge of the box, but the player was in the process of playing it away from goal. And he's just steamed in, and okay, he's like he's basically just stood on his foot. It's not, it's not, it's not hugely egregious, but it's contact in the box, and it's enough to give away a penalty. And it's more for where do we go with that going forward? He he is a younger defender, so it is something you'd hope as you get games in 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 in, in it, an experience, you would get better at that. But it it hasn't happened so far and and the only reason i I really come back to that i'm coming i'm coming right back full circle where i would have said that was our strongest 11 and that would have been my exception only in that we have a guy in angus mcdonald who was such a core player of the team that went on that run of results at the tail end of last season playing in that very position and and i'd love to know why it is obviously had an injury earlier in the season but I had never really thought that it was just a fait accompli that Rubicic was doing so well in the team that he was now just the no questions asked middle of that back three. And no, but I mean he's not he's not the McDonald's replacement. He's the Pollock replacement. He's the guy that's going to go and win the high balls and going to go and contest those balls. But then, if he was the Pollock replacement, I would have expected him to be a lot more. I mean, I mean, and again, this is where thing. He's a low-cost Pollock replacement, yeah. clearly. I mean, I mean, that's the thing. I, Pollock would have obviously been in an ideal world. You, you just managed to bring. Yeah, and he would have cost back. twenty and times I, I, more. And I genuinely don't want to be unfair because it is unfair to say that Rupesic is could come in at that cost and level and be as effective as Pollock was. But by the same token, I don't think he he it may have been thought that he was going to come in as direct Pollock replacement, but. Pollock was the guy who was playing out in the right of, of, of defence and, again, had a had a level of pace and mobility that would allow him to handle the type of players that Rubicic really obviously can't handle out in those kind I of positions. I think, again, when you saw Pollock one-on-one isolated, it wasn't great. You know, you had a similar situation in the game we won against the Rangers at Pitodre where, to last night, to Jansen's slip, where Pollock, because he's indecisive, because he's not quite got his foot right, he basically falls over and lets him go clean through one-on-one. Um, so let's not sugarcoat Matty Pollock, who who made an immense contribution in the second half of last season, but it was by no means Franz Beckenbauer. Uh, but clearly a much more capable 
and a, a footballer further on in his development and ability than Slobodan Rubicic, no question. Um, all I'm saying is that, you know, I thought he was pretty steady last night. And again, the incident you're talking about with the um, earlier on with the but where there could have been a potential for another red card. Again, that's, again, it's error compounding error on that one because the first problem is that you've got your goalkeeper who basically doesn't catch a routine high ball on that as well. So panic sets in amongst the defence. And it was kind of my point earlier about how you know, when Roos is kicking stuff out in a fool, even before that, there was, there was even when we were playing well and teeing up, there was still a sense, a bit of nervousness around the back line. And I think that was coming right from the back, right from the number one. Yeah, well, I mean, Martin, I mean, PAOK, they are a good team, but there's no cons- there is no consolation in that, really. I mean, I think what we've established here is that we've we've undone we've undone what was a potentially a very good result for ourselves by be, by the individual mistakes. Um, after the game, um, you know, Rob, the manager, you know, he did he did praise the players. He did give to give them some credit. Um, you know, obviously the the flashy headlines are going to come from the VAR stuff, but the sad thing the sad thing that comes from today is that basically. That's pretty much the European. The chances of us progressing are pretty much over now, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't think anybody, even if we had managed to hold out and get a win last night, I think it was more likely than not that we would not have been progressing from this group. But at least the hope would have still been alive, and I think, especially for the upcoming trip to Greece and, and, and for the remaining fixtures coming forward, I think there would have been a lot more buzz and anticipation around them, whereas we really are already more more or less um, out of the competition, barring a miraculous turn. Because again, it's, it, it wouldn't just be us turning around and getting results now. It, it, would, it would need a pretty uh, favourable set of other results going our way in order to even get us into second place now. I, I think what was more galling for me is... Um, again, coming back to the Copenhagen result, that's now getting close to 16 years ago. So there's a kind of a a, a, a a generation of dandies that have come through the ranks since then who will likely be too young to actually remember that game. And I felt like it kind of, and for the players as well, it, it's just that it kind of robbed everybody of that, you know, that Copenhagen moment, you know, that there would have been a game that you could have gone back to, and it might still it might still happen with you know the the the, the later games, but you know a, a a European result that people would have looked back on fifteen years from now and went, oh man, you remember the time we beat Pauk two 0 in the you know in the group stages of the of the Conference League, and and I think that's what's the most bittersweet aspect about it. Um, hadn't really expected by this stage and and, and Richard's right I'd, I'd be beat Helsinki I think it would have hurt even more because then we really could have been thinking about potentially you know progressing in the tournament um which would have been incredible um but you know for for all the flack that Barry Robson has undoubtedly got over the last 24 hours um plus now by the time that people listen to this um it's a cliche, but you really do have to take the positives out of it as well. Um, we have 
by by no means embarrassed ourselves in any of these matches at European group stage football. Um, we we were again it might be a stretch to say we, we would have deserved something from the Frankfurt game, but it 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 wouldn't have been completely undeserved if we had managed to steal a point from that. I thought we were the better team against Helsinki and it certainly wouldn't have been undeserving if we'd managed to get a win out of that. And, and again, with 20 minutes to go, we, we looked as if we were going to get a win against a really quality European side. There's got to be positives that you take out of that in relation to how, how that, that looks for the, the the squad going forward. I think just the the unfortunate thing is that we have very little to nothing tangible to show for that. Even even just you know if I mean obviously the win would have been worth it for the for the win alone. But again they they come with financial rewards and bonuses as well. That would have been enough to pay off a a thrown flare fine or two as well. So you know it all it all adds up. But yeah it's it's. It's more of it's. It, we're not going to look back in that as being, you know, the 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 final coffin in our European campaigns. I, you know, I think we were all kind of, to a certain extent, just really pleased and proud that we got to this stage of the tournament and, and see how it went from there. It was just that real feeling of it was a real missed opportunity for what would have been a fantastic European night. Well, I think you're right to say that you have to be positive, if only because the other option is utter despair. Um, <laughs> We can we do did, our despair as well, but <laughs> we, we again we specialise in that here. We did score two fine goals and look comfortable in, in control basically against um, a good side until well we weren't. Um, interesting that you make that comparison with the earlier on with the match against the Rangers, which Goodwin's team contrived to lose. Um, that night it felt to me it was a night the players as much as the support started to lose faith in the manager and I sincerely hope that that isn't the case obviously um, with the players this time with their manager and we are, we continue to be a, a more cohesive team unit going forward what I will say though is uh, I think our standards need to be a bit better I think as much as we acknowledge that Pauk are a perfectly capable outfit at this level Second in the Greek league, spend a lot more money than we can ever dream of spending. Frankfurt, clearly one of the bigger sides in the Bundesliga. Helsinki were there for the taking, we didn't win. Hecken were there for the taking last uh, in the qualifying rounds, and we didn't win. And last night, we're 2-0 up with 20 minutes to go at home, and we blew it. We blew it. Not just one individual mistake, not just two individual mistakes, but three individual mistakes costing us that game. Uh, that's it's unforgivable, really. So as I say, there are things to be positive about, and I think it. I think in, in it's some in some ways it's easier. It's been easier for me to cope with because I kind of saw the the Pauk and the Frankfurt games as a bit of a bonus. I I hoped that we'd stand up well against Helsinki and hopefully outdo them over the two games which is still a possibility um, but felt these were a bit of a free hit the other two games didn't really ever retain realistic hopes of getting out of the groups to be perfectly honest with you when the draw was made so that makes it a little bit easier but it's still galling and it's still frankly 
unacceptable to lose a game from the situation we were in last night. That was the positive. Yeah, well, they, they always say to try and finish on a positive, so I think we'll, I think that's what we'll we'll do there. Um, it's good that we're not going to have to go over this on next week's podcast. It's good to get it all out of our system um, now. Um, you know, if you if you want to hear us, if you want to hear us previewing the Kilmarnock, the Kilmarnock game, you can go back to the main podcast from earlier in the week. Um, certainly not going to be going over that again. Um, I don't know about you, Martin. I certainly feel better having. Having ha- having had a bit of a, a release there, how are, how are you now? Yeah, I think I do feel better after all of that. That that uh, will hopefully clear out uh, the system and allow me to actually in- enjoy the rest of our weekend until I remember that we've got to watch us play at Rugby Park at twelve o'clock on Sunday. Um, shout out to everybody again. <laughs> I know you didn't want to go. I, I want to. I won't go over anything with regards to the game, but. Uh, my my thoughts and best wishes to everybody that's going to try and make their way to uh, Ayrshire for a 12 o'clock Sunday kickoff. Absolute insanity. But um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll at least be able to uh, enjoy. I think I'll be probably taking in some local Scottish Cup action uh, on the Saturday and then hopefully we can put in a, a worthwhile performance on Sunday. Good stuff. And are you, Richard, you, you are suitably vented? I hate football. Never want to watch another game in my life. That's exactly how I felt last night. Thank you. You've, 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 you've actually repeated exactly what I said to my son as we as we were walking up Merklin Road. Uh, so with that, thank you much, very much, gentlemen. So here's to three points anyway on on Sunday lunchtime on the plastic pitch at Kilmarnock. Um, we'll probably be back with next week with another podcast for you. So until then, come on, you Reds. Mm-hmm.